like we got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. that. We don't got time for that Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This is FM 1017 at 1320 KLWN. We've got another draft with Scott Chase, and this time we're going to be doing a basketball draft of the Big 12 football coaches. Anyone jump off the page to you, Lance? Uh, Lane is uh, we get ready for the draft. Any any coach that you think should be a guaranteed top three pick? I I would just say, given the swagger that he has had in his whole career, I say swagger. But basically, just how well he's known and how well, or, or just um the, the swagger that he has had. Probably Mike Gundy. Really? Yeah. Okay. Hmm. See, this show personally has had a bit of a rift with Mike Gundy. I don't know if you're aware of that. Um, I, I do, do agree not. though. The 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 uh, the scrappiness of Mike Gundy, I think, is there. So we'll see where he winds up. I don't know. Maybe I should hold a, a bias against him and shouldn't draft him. I don't know. We'll <laughs> see. Uh, so we'll do that with Scott coming up here at 340. At uh, 4 o'clock, we've got a couple segments coming up. Sports, stock, market, fast lane. We'll get you updated on RCST trivia. We're going to have another KU football positional preview coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. But we are officially six weeks out. From the first KU football game of the season, six weeks from this very day, taking on Tennessee Tech. And I want to get to some questions with the number six in it. So six and a half, technically. Um, but, you know, I, I'm not going to, um, you know, split hairs on this. Uh, six and a half is the number of sacks Kyron Johnson had last season. And he departed. He was drafted by the Philadelphia Eagles in the NFL draft. KU already you know, didn't have super high pass rush numbers in terms of whatever way you look at it, like, you know, pass rush win rate, uh, pro football focus grades, just in terms of the total raw numbers, the the amount of sacks that they had, tackles for loss. Like, there weren't a ton of them for KU last year, and that even including having an NFL player on your defensive line who got you six and a half sacks. Um, what happens when that guy is now gone? Does this all of a sudden turn into a unit that – is really, really going to struggle in pass rush. They bring in Lonnie Phelps, who comes over from Miami of Ohio, and he actually had even more sacks than that last year at Miami of Ohio, just one away from getting into double digits last year where he was an all-MAC player. And by all accounts, everything we've heard from coaches, players, and everything is, is they've gotten ready through you know spring ball and everything is that this dude is a freaky pass rusher that he's got some great moves that he's got great twitchiness to him that he should be a guy that should be able to step in and kind of fill in those those spots for Kyron Johnson and I don't know I I don't think it'd be that crazy to say that could he match those numbers could he even surpass those numbers that Kyron Johnson put up I I don't think it'd be crazy for that to happen he did it last year now that was in the MAC this is in the Big 12 yeah I was actually going to point that out you know it's going to be a night and day difference between the conferences they were in However, I do think that that experience that Lonnie did have, I think that'll help out in a big way. But I am just saying it is going to be a tough shoe to fill in. Mm -hmm. I think that um, if you can at least get 
similar production there from Lonnie Phelps to what Kyron Johnson was. And and I will say, like, Kyron Johnson, you know, obviously provided a lot as a pass rusher. Uh, he provided a lot of speed that he was able to chase down plays when they were on the opposite side going to him. He was not necessarily known for being like an elite run defender necessarily. He was a little bit lighter. Maybe that's somewhere that, that Lonnie Phelps can pick it up. But we'll do more of, of that specifically in the, the D-line breakdown. I'm just curious if if Lonnie Phelps can at least be on par with what Kyron Johnson was. And if he's better, that's that's great. That might be enough because everyone else around that one guy who is the, the quote-unquote star of the defensive line or, or however you want to look at it, your best edge rusher, whatever, should be better this year. I mean, you bring back a majority of that defensive line uh, around that position, so just another year in the program should be better. Another year in the scheme should understand it better. Another year of you know being in, in this uh, weight training and conditioning program with KU, which seems to hold guys more accountable than it has been in the past. Okay, bodies are better. They're more Big 12 ready. All of those things would lead me to believe that the defensive line should be better in that, you know, we were talking to David Lawrence earlier this week, and he kind of talked about how there are a lot of, like, the two deep for this defensive line, maybe even three deep for this defensive line, is just it's deeper, it's filled with more commodities that you feel good about than it has been in the past year or so. And you have certain guys like Caleb Sampson who you feel like could break out. You have a guy like Malcolm Lee who uh, has been around the program for for a little bit now. I think he's headed into his sixth year maybe, at the very least his fifth year when you add on his, his JUCO years as well. Like you have more experienced, college-ready, Big 12-ready bodies. And I think having those guys around, Lonnie Phelps, if he can just be what Kyron Johnson is because the other parts are better, I, I don't know where that gets you, but it should be better than last year. Yeah, I would certainly hope so. Um, you know, I, I and I also kind of noticed on the D line a little bit of a Buffalo pipeline once again. Yeah, uh, and that really helped out. I, I love seeing um, the pipeline from Buffalo with bringing in Lance Leipold, and I really think that's how KU really strived over the last four games of the seasons because they still have that experience with Lance Leipold. I think that's going to build a lot more this upcoming season, and I'm excited to see it. Um, all right, next question. Six is also the amount of pass deflections that Kenny Logan had last season. And obviously a guy who he's preseason all Big 12 coming into the season was all Big 12 last season. The question for me is can Kenny Logan transcend just being a, a you know really good player, all Big 12 player on what was a bad team? to being a good enough player that it's it's helping drag KU to wins. We, we've seen other good safeties at KU here, just in recent memory, like Fish Smithson, Bryce Tornado, and Mike Lee. And, and yeah, I, I think everybody that I just mentioned, um, I think Kenny Logan's a, a better coverage guy than all of those. Like uh, a, a lot of what those guys did was making plays in the box and making tackles and everything. So I think Kenny Logan's better in coverage than those guys. But the point being, like we, you've seen other good safeties, and there's other guys that you know I didn't name there. Um, but it just hasn't really turned into wins. It hasn't turned into hey, here's a really good defense or, or a really good secondary or whatever it is. And that's the challenge for me for Logan. Like he's a great leader. He's obviously a really good player. How can he help turn that into on-field success for KU? The leadership side on its own 
turns it into success for KU. But can he go above and beyond being a good individual player? Can he help, you know, is, is the guy at the back end, is the safety, can you help get everybody organized? Can you help be the leader of that back end that you're not just, you know, impacting things yourself, that you're impacting your others around you in terms of getting them in the right situation to succeed? Well, I'm just thinking, you know, he's already he's already been a terrific uh, defensive back safety mm -hmm. for KU uh, over the past three years. And I'm uh, he he does fit into that leadership role. I am just curious to see if he can bring if, if he understands that leadership role and how he needs to help everybody else because he's we already know he's the real deal. Sorry, Devin Neal, I'm gonna have to switch that nickname from you to Kenny Logan, but we already know how great he is, and we've already you know said that it's probably not a good thing that he has so many tackles, but he's able to help out when he can. If he's able to embrace that leadership role. Hand it out to the other defensive backs. Because let's be clear, the defensive back game, it's not the best in the Big 12, not the best in the country, but the talent's there. It's definitely there. We saw it last year. But I think if Kenny Logan could take that leadership to another level and then also make tremendous plays himself, I don't see why he could not only be a star in the Big 12, but possibly a really good draft pick of this upcoming NFL draft. Yeah, well, and... and um. Like I think the leadership is there from the off the field per and, and and stuff like that. I'm I'm not even challenging the leadership on the field to be honest. Like I I don't know. I'm not there. I'm just saying right. that becomes an extra question of like because he's been the guy that's been the pillar along this whole way of of with this new staff. So from that standpoint, I'm just saying it it you know it's it's a little bit tougher if you want to emerge your game from being really good to being someone who is elevating others as well. And I think he can do that. Like. He's a he's a very talented player that I think this all means a lot to him. I think he can do it. Um, I'm just excited to see if it can happen. And uh, he could have potentially two more years left at KU, but I'm sure if you asked him honestly, like he's probably saying, I want to ball out this year, get us to a bowl game, and then I'm gonna go to the NFL draft. And, you know, if you're if you're someone who's sitting here and going, Yeah, if you go to a bowl game, do whatever you want, right? Right. <laughs> okay, uh, next question with the number six. Six is the number of FBS games that KU was in last year. So what I mean by that, games where, you know, it was, I guess it was a game for KU. Now, technically, this is a very, like, vague way, and, and there's no real, like, regulations to this, so I can define it however I want, um, which makes it, you know, helpful for making my point. But, um, like, if I really wanted to, I could say seven. I could say, hey, they were in the Baylor game at halftime. Uh, like you could just say, well, if they're in it at halftime, that counts as them being in it. I'm more so counted as games that you were in. It's got to be like into the third quarter, like not just at the beginning of the third quarter, like into the third quarter. And again, I don't want to put like a direct line and be like, well, it has to be with, you know, eight minutes left in the third quarter to officially be in the game. But if you look at it that way, the Coastal Carolina game, you were down, you know, one score, two scores. Uh, for a bit there in the third quarter, and then they pulled away. You know, you're kind of going back and forth for a bit, and until I think they had a fourth down where they threw a little pass to the to the flats, and I forget if it was Velton Gardner or whoever dropped the ball in the flats, and they didn't get the fourth down, and then it was kind of over from there. And they had special teams issues as well in the game um, that kind of led to all that happening, but they were in the game. The Duke game, they were in the game. Um, back and forth offensive game, and then Duke kind of pulls away at the end. I think the, the Duke game, KU was up at halftime. Am I wrong? I they might have been. It was definitely like, I think it was like twenty four twenty one or that something. That sounds similar. I mean, that sounds right. Uh, at the very least, like they were up at some point late in the second right. quarter, early third quarter. Like it was back and forth. And then the big play was, I, I think Duke was like up by a score or two, 
and you had Gavin Potter jump in on a a blitz and instead of tackling him he just like (laughs) smacks his shoulder pads yeah he gets away and they pull away but you were in that game Oklahoma game probably should have won to be completely honest um Caleb Williams made a couple just crazy plays one of them that (laughs) probably shouldn't have been allowed and uh you lost to a really good team um the Texas game you beat Texas obviously you were in that game TCU game very much in that game very easily could have won that game as well and then the West Virginia game, same thing. Very much in that game. Very easily could have won that game as well, if not for like as great as Jalen Daniels was over the last three weeks. He had uh, I think two red zone turnovers in that yep, game. He did, and both you, of them thrown into the end zone. Yeah, if you get rid of even just one of those and score a touchdown, you lost by six. You might have won that game. So uh, you were clearly in those six games. Which maybe asking is that a lot? Is that a little uh, compared to past years? Well, twenty twenty it was just three. Twenty nineteen it was six. So. If you look at the 2019 team, because that's interesting. Like, it's one thing to be like, ah, well, that team was three and nine. Um, that team probably should have won four or five, maybe even six games in 2019. Probably could have beat Texas that year. They should have beaten Coastal Carolina that year. I was about to year. say that. Yeah. Uh, that Coastal start, Carolina game was just disgusting. Yeah. They start up seven nothing and then they don't score again. They lose 12 to seven and they had like three fourth downs that they just tried that little, uh, like, I don't even know what to call it, like the toss dive. Puka Williams. I, I, I think their kicker didn't even make a single kick that game. <laughs> yeah, the Coastal Carolina. I want to say that's right. I want to say he missed. Of, a it bunch was twelve of field goals. to seven. I think yeah. he missed both extra points. Yeah, I think that's right. I think he missed like a field goal too or something. It, yeah, it, it was a mess. You should have won that game. That would have got you to five. And then I want to say the West Virginia game. Ku averaged. It was like Ku averaged like seven and a half yards per play. West Virginia averaged like four yards per play, yeah. and yet KU lost because they had like two or three turnovers. But KU almost won that game. They were down like five, and they they threw like a hook and ladder, and yeah. Stephon <laughs> Robinson or someone, Andrew Parchman, I don't know, was running down the left sideline, got that to was, within um, like the 10. That was Puka, I think. It was Puka? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, that was that was kind of close. It went like you could have won that game. Um, so, you know, that that season, if, if you had that type of season but maybe had better – I don't know, X's and O's and, and game day management, which I think you do now with Lance Leipold than you did with Les Miles. Maybe that team does win four, five, six games. So um, I guess what would be a good number KU needs to reach? I, I, I go into this season, clearly you say you'd love to be competitive each and every week and you'd love to win four more games or whatever. Like I totally agree with that stuff. But if we're realistic here, even teams that go like five and seven, six and six, seven and five, the games that they're playing, the the Clemsons or the Alabamas of the world, a lot of times they're still getting rocked. So it's unrealistic. You know, again, you strive for it, but it's not realistic to expect that literally all twelve of the games are just going to be that you're in the game. So I think a good number is like nine. If you say yeah. that you're in the game in nine games and you win three or four of them. I think that's a good number that you can kind of build on. I agree. Um, whether or not that's, you know, I, I think like you said, whether or not that's actually realistic, we'll mm-hmm. have to see. Because like, it mainly just depends on a week-by-week basis. But if they're able to use that momentum they had at the end of last year, which I know is a different conversation in and of itself, but I think that it is quite possible because it's Tennessee Tech is FCS, right? Yes. Okay, so then it's 11 FBS games they're going against. Mm-hmm. Um, so 9 out of that 11, I, I think that's doable. I really is. I think if you take – I mean – I think KU could perform well against Oklahoma. I know they'll definitely perform well against Texas again because their defense is garbage. But um, like, let's say Baylor or something, I think that's probably the game you can tick off as one that they could 
be in because one, that's at Waco, two, they're projected to win the Big 12 again. I do certainly see a possibility of eight or nine games that KU could really be in against an F- FBS opponent. Yeah. I, I, think again, it, I were, think that is realistic to say. You were close with Oklahoma. Like, you know, why not do it again? So, um, yeah, I, I think that should be, I don't know. Again, like it's not something that the coaches are going to sit in the locker room and write on the whiteboard and be like, all right, this is what we're working for this offseason. But I, I think that would be something that would show, you know, positive progress. Uh, the last number here is six is, everyone knows this, the number to go bowling. Got to go six and six. Now, I guess technically you go five and seven, get in with like the right APR score if there's not enough eligible teams. But six in a Power Five conference basically gets you in. Um, if you had to drop the roadmap of how KU could get to six wins, what does that look like? Well, um, hmm. What do you mean by roadmap exactly? Like what? Like who are like they beating what? along the way? Okay. Um, who are they beating? Well, I would say they would have to beat at least two or three. But I mean, they'd have to beat at least three Big Twelve teams. Well, obviously. I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah mathematically yeah, they would. Yeah, because I, I think it is quite possible they could beat all three non-con teams: te- uh, Tennessee, Tech, Houston, and Duke. I think that's definitely possible. Um, I would mark TCU because they've always struggled in Lawrence for whatever reason. Also, TCU is kind of on a downward slope from what mm-hmm. I've seen. Um, I honestly could. I want to say Texas again. I really do. <laughs> just because. And Lawrence this year. I know. Because, like, the thing is just, I don't like Texas defense at all. And I don't understand the logic that people have for marking Texas as they're going to be back this year. And then it turns out it's not going to be that same way. And then they just say it over and over and over again. This year, they're definitely not back. Their offense is pretty decent. Their defense is hot garbage. I do certainly see if KU could put in a, some great stops in there. I certainly do see KU win in that game as well. So I have three non-con, TCU, Texas. I don't know about a road game, like a like a Big 12 road game. So I'm going to sneak in. Did it last year? They did, but... It was the first God. one in forever, though. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. Maybe Iowa State. I don't know. I'd say that. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, I would agree with you. If, if you're... Coming up with the roadmap of how they get there. Obviously, you have to beat Tennessee Tech. You have to beat Duke. Those are you have to have them. Between the at West Virginia game and at Houston game that you have in weeks two and week three, split the pair of those. Win one out of right. two. So now you're at three wins. You get Iowa State at home, TCU at home. Split between one of two of those. So now you're okay. at four. Uh, I'm not going to pick them to win at Oklahoma or at Baylor, <laughs> or for that matter, at home against Oklahoma State. So now you need two wins in the final three games. At Texas Tech versus Texas and at Kansas State. I mean, if you could get if you could get the other of the Iowa State TCU game, then that takes that means you only have to win one here. I think at Texas Tech would probably be the most winnable there. I think yeah, I think you're right on that. But then yeah, who who would be the other one? Either Texas at home or at Kansas State. Kansas State is mashed. Like if you just go by how they've done in the series lately, the Texas one would be easier. Um I don't know. I that's, think the only tough. thing you'd hope for for them to be K-State is, one, some great stops, or two, that they're not healthy on offense. Yeah, and they, they've just they've just tossed KU aside. But could you imagine a world where KU is 5-6 and six headed into that last week, and Kansas State is sitting at, like, you know, they have a, a strong season. They're, like, 8-3 and three or something like that. And a win for Kansas State gets them the second spot 
in the Big 12 championship game. And Kansas somehow wins in Manhattan, goes to a bowl game. Kansas State's kept out of the Big 12 title. Could you imagine? Hey, that, It's almost impossible to imagine because I, I can't even imagine KU beating K-State right now. I, right. I've never <laughs> seen it in my life since I, I've come to the state of Kansas. Um, so for that reason, I guess I would go Texas. Yeah, I would I would agree, but that's tough. It's, it's it, you know you say you could never imagine it. it's quite possible that could happen this year. It's no, I'm see. not picking that out of the question. We'll here's see. the thing. Here's the thing. <laughs> like here's the thing. I'm not taking I'm not taking that out of the question. I think it's possible because again, let's be honest, the Texas game last year should not have happened, but we're glad it did. So it, it's quite possible. And heck, maybe if they're already sitting high top of the Big Twelve, hey, we're gonna win. We're gonna go to the Big Twelve championship anyway. And they're like, I don't know, like not projected to actually like win the regular season, but they're projected to go to the championship game. Maybe they not might not care about that game as much. I don't know. I'm I'm sorry. I'm trying to be an optimist in this. <laughs> I am not going to go that route because I've <laughs> seen it happen too many times. But yeah, that's that's kind of the roadmap there of how it would happen. And as you can tell, that would be very difficult for all that stuff to come together. He is Lane Gillespie. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Scott Chasen will join us in about 15 minutes. This is KLWN. Depend on it. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Back with Scott Chasen for, uh, oh, and by the way, I guess I should say this now, uh, we're about to be back to the point with Scott Chasen where, you know, we can uh, consistently add a title to the end of his name. Used to be, you know, Scott Chasen of, of Fog.net and everything, but but now... Uh, I can say what Scott Chasen of Casey Sports Network. Congratulations! Oh well, thank you very much. Yeah, I guess we we got to announce that recently. I took a photo out in the scorching heat, so everyone is welcome for that. But uh, no, it's uh, we're going to be hosting a, a KU football podcast on the network, and so um, it will be myself and Ken Swanson doing that. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited for that. Actually, I think it'll be a lot of fun. Cool. And yeah, it did. It, it didn't sound the same. Me just being able to say your name. I have to have a tag on the end of it. It's uh, you know the perfect balance. It's like the uh, you know thing with Thanos where he's holding the knife, and it it just was unbalanced. Um, so we're glad to have that. Uh, but we, today we are not going to be doing anything with that. We are going to be doing another basketball draft. And in honor of Big Twelve football media days that just occurred last week, we're going to be drafting the Big Twelve football head coaches to play a game of basketball going to be kind of a weird draft because first of all these are not you know basketball players or even coaches um i actually looked through and i you know went to every single coaches in the big 12 uh wikipedia page and uh did the control find of basketball and not a single thing popped up on any of them so not sure there's much basketball history for any of these guys i don't know maybe there's more research to be done that that i didn't do um but yeah, it works out that there's 10 coaches, and so we're each going to get five players. But obviously, as you realize, well, what are you going to do about the coach position? Well, we have come up with a, or, or Scott, rather, has come up with a, a very cool, unique idea to do this. We're going to pick the coach for the other team, and you can use any coach in past Big 12 history to be the other person's coach. Any football coach. I think that's the yeah. important role. And, you know, if, if you're so inclined, you can go back to the 
you know, big eight or big, you know, and any big current big 12 teams coach in their history. I, I, I don't see any reason to limit this at all. No, I don't either. Um, and honestly, that's going to be the toughest decision that I'm going to have to make along this because like how much of a difference is there between a lot of these coaches to the other in this regard? Probably not a lot, but that is going to be the one that like, I, I have a lot of candidates for your head coach that I think could be a disaster, but it's like, which disaster do I want to pick? Oh, see, I'm going to be nice. I'm going to give oh. you, I'm, I'm going to try it. You know, I've won a couple of these drafts in a row. I really want to get you back on the winning streak. <laughs> I'm going to give you the best coach imaginable who it was a former big 12 or big 12 school currently uh, previous football coach. So I think I'm going to do my best to help you out in that regard. You're going to like give me Bill Snyder or something, just knowing that the, the base of people who are going to vote on this are KU fans. No, I, I, I'm telling you, I've got a great coach for you, um, okay. and he will elevate your team. I, I mean, he will win you this draft 100%. I don't believe anything you're saying right now. Uh, so, mm -hmm. with that being said, I have a quarter. It is a 2017, I don't even know what this is, Effigy Mounds? When did they start making quarters that weren't states anyway no maybe this is an iowa or something like that i've never seen this coin before uh would you like heads or would you like the effigy mounds i i would like tails which has won i'm pretty sure every single time we've ever flipped a coin mm, might be true i'm not going to go back and check all right it's up in the <laughs> air in my hand flip it onto my palm it is heads so i have the choice Wait, you flipped it no, no 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 hold on you don't you let the coin land you don't flip the coin after it lands no, I always flip it. You catch it in the air. If it's a you know a coin toss where you're letting it land on the ground, like in the NFL, then yeah. But I'm catching out of there, and you flip it over on your hand. I don't think that I, that that allows for too much tomfoolery <laughs> in this for me. So I, I would like to think that I won this. Okay, coin toss. that's fine. We can uh, start using those coin flip rules. So that means you have the option. Do you want to go first or second? <laughs> I didn't really want the option anyway, so you can have it. Are you are you just giving this to me? Well, no, you have the option of if you want to go first or second. What would you rather? Would you rather go first or second? I didn't have a preference. That's why I'm glad that you wanted it. No, well, I, I don't actually want it. Now I want you yeah. to have it. You can choose. No, but I want you to want it. Okay. You can go first. Okay. I don't like that. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, first overall pick. I am going to take Matt Campbell. Bad pick. Mm, I I guess I'll put him at, I don't know. I, I don't know what I'm going to put him at yet. Uh, put him for now at, at forward, I guess, but I might move him down to the five. Honestly, it really doesn't matter who's playing what position. I've kind of found in doing my research with this, like there are a few exceptions where it's like, yeah, clearly that guy would not be this position or something. But overall, a lot of these guys are, are similar heights with each other. Um, Matt Campbell is, is maybe the tallest coach in the Big 12. Um I, I took some pictures of, of him with, you know, next to Brock Purdy in a helmet, and he was like an inch or two taller than him in a helmet. Brock Purdy listed at 6'1". Now, again, you know, we see teams all the time kind of fib about the guy's height. So uh, if that's true or not, I don't know. You told me before the show the, or, or before we recorded this that he was actually towering over Steve Sarkeesian, who's listed at six foot two. So that would tell me, and, and by my account, the, the research I had done, Steve Sarkeesian was tied for the tallest head coach outside of, of Matt Campbell. So if he's taller than him, I have the tallest guy on the board. He's a younger guy, so I don't have to worry about him, you know, just throwing out his back on the basketball court. And um, I don't know. He, it, 
Maybe he's good. But I, I don't know. I'm not going to try to judge, like, are they good or not at basketball. It's, it's almost impossible to know. But, you know, he's probably more athletic than some of the other guys. Seems to be in good shape. I, I think that's a very good pick. I, that He would have been up there, but it, it's not a good pick for 1-1. I think Matt Campbell is too polarizing. That, that's why mm-hmm. I said it wasn't a good pick when you picked him 1-1, because you're going to get a lot of people who don't like Matt Campbell, who think he's overrated, and I think that's going to Okay, wait. Can I just address this real quick? Um, so I, <laughs> I, I understand this. I understand this segment of like, oh, Matt Campbell's overrated. He, he's getting this treatment like he's one of the best coaches in the country, and what has he actually done? Um, blah blah blah. And I, I guess like yeah, he he won a New Year's Six Bowl two years ago. It was COVID year, whatever. And like last year, of all these expectations, you win seven games. I, I just I, I don't even care anymore. Like the amount of people who have made it their job, where it's like you know it's it's that that tweet that you see every now and then, where it's like no one blank, absolutely no one blank, and then it's like somebody who like overdoes something, and it's like. It's like I I don't care. Like why why do you care this much about if Matt Campbell is overrated or not? I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no, no. And and for the record, I always cite this stat when people you know hop into my mentions to talk about Matt Campbell. Matt Campbell has like five of the six best seasons for Iowa State since 2000, and five of the six best since like 1980. So that's like 40 years, and every year he's you know like Iowa State has won or, or I guess. Iowa State won nine games in 1906. Since then, they've won nine games twice. Matt Campbell was one of them. They've gone eight and five twice. Those were both Matt Campbell. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. like, I think you have to. You also have to account for expectations. If Matt Campbell had his resume at Kansas, we would anoint him one of the greatest coaches in the nation because of you know expectations of the place and whatnot. So, I think that always has to factor in. So, I do agree with you, but I stand by what I said, which is I think he's very polarizing. I think people on Twitter think he's. Uh, will debate if he's overrated, and I think that will hurt you, um, even though this is a basketball draft. So um, my top three, actually my top four are still on the board. I had Campbell as my fifth guy. Um, so I'm going to take Brett Venables, um, mm. number one. Uh, I just think he looks like he's in good shape. He's got a lot of energy, kind of scary, um, and he's like famous for stealing signs and understanding what the other team is doing. So I think he gives me a mental edge. He's a defensive specialist, a stopper. Um, and I think sticking with my theme of taking, uh, you know, the Torchy's Taco Devil, which seemed to fare well for me, I think he's kind of the devil of the Big 12 since, uh, you know, his school is getting out of there. So I will take Brett Venables. And uh, I think my second pick, I'm going Dave Aranda. I think Dave Aranda, I, he looks like he could beat up any Big 12 coach. Um, teams mirror their coach. Baylor plays physical, plays aggressive, usually has good athletes. And I think he was Big 12 coach of the year last year, too. So um, I'm a Dave Aranda guy. I like him. And uh, now he's on my team. Yeah, those are number two and number three on my board. Venables is also six foot two, and yeah, he has like a holdback coach, so uh, clearly he has a little too much energy. Um, Dave Aranda is a little shorter, it looks like, but again, like you said, he's in good shape. Like I could see him, you know, being kind of the the point guard or something of your team. I don't know. Okay, um, hmm. this this is a big drop off for me. I to me, I had those top three in tier one. Um, and then it was a big drop off. I guess I'll go Steve Sarkeesian and I'll put him at the center position. And that means I will have Matt Campbell more at the four. Uh, Sarkeesian, as I mentioned, six foot two. I like the height of my team. I'm going with the Twin Towers approach. Um, I don't know. He's, I don't know. What else do I want to say about Steve Sarkeesian? Not a lot. Steve Sarkeesian's uh, about he's, uh, 
he's an extraordinary problem solver. Do you remember that press conference question? The most legendary press <laughs> oh, conference yeah. question ever. <laughs> when a guy said, you know, the, I, I don't know who it was, but he just he goes, you know, a, co- a couple weeks ago, a friend and I were having a problem. And we stopped and we asked ourselves, we need to ask ourselves, what would an extraordinary person do in this situation? And coach, you are that extraordinary. I don't know, man. I, uh, we can only aspire to have a moment like that that goes viral on Twitter. Anyway, uh, a good job getting an extraordinary with the space in between person uh, to be on your team. Okay, that makes me feel bad. That's going to be our team name. We're going to be the extraordinaries. Um, <laughs> man, this is tough after this. Uh, I'll go take Neil. the homer pick. You know you you know you want to. No, I, I really don't. I'll I'll take Neil Brown. Um Neil Brown will be one of my guards. I don't know. He's probably feisty, I guess. He's a little <laughs> short. I, I have no idea. At this point it's all crapshoots. It really is. I have no idea what I'm doing here. Neil Brown. Oh man. All right. Well, I'm gonna take uh I am gonna take the homer pick. I'm taking Lance Lightbolt. I'm putting him at the three. Uh, actually, I'll put him at the four. I feel like your four man can be a little bit slower. Um, plus, he's is previously he... coached against Matt Campbell, so I, I don't know. I think that works. Is Lance Leipold the oldest coach in the Big Twelve? He might. That's be. a good question. I he probably is. Would well, some of those guys are deceptively old. Yeah, like uh, Mike Gundy's older than you think. Uh, I know Chris Kleiman's younger than Leipold's. I yeah, think, like I think Joey McGuire's older than you think. I think he's like fifty. Yeah, but that's the thing. Like Leipold's like sixty. So I'm I'm just gonna outrun you. I'm gonna outrun you. Yeah. Well, uh, KU fans are voting on this, so I'll have Lance Leipold. <laughs> and to balance it out, because some K State people follow me, I'm gonna take Chris Kleiman, uh, and I'm gonna put him at the three. So mm. uh, I have cornered the market on in-state recruiting. Anyone that comes out of Sunrise Christian, anyone that comes out of Kansas City. Uh, they will be going straight to my team, and I feel great about that. Okay. What if uh, I don't know? What if they think their football coach is bad at basketball, or what if they just what if they don't like their football coach and they want to vote against? That's a, that's a, that's a very good question, Derek. <laughs> that would really hurt my team. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, gosh. See, this is tough now too because I haven't played the resources right. Because I have two of the final three coaches remaining as more big men. And obviously, Steve Sarkeesian's a big man. I could hypothetically, I think, move Matt Campbell to the three and be fine with that. um, And just play a big lineup. (laughs) But that does mean I'm going to need at least one more guard. So I'm going to take Mike Gundy. That's the obvious one. I wanted Gundy. Yeah, I I think that um, Mike Gundy is probably a good defender. I could see him taking the game, like, very, very seriously. Yeah, um... I think that's true. He's definitely very defensive, um, especially if you try and criticize any of his players. So um, I think that definitely works up on the list. Um, Yeah, I could see that. And I think he works as a guard. I could see him just kind of like storming in and, and, you know, trying to get to the rim or something and and break through, you know, whatever. It it makes sense to me. Yeah. Uh, And then I'll go Sonny Dykes for TCU. Honestly, this is just a coin flip between Sonny Dykes and Joey McGuire. Um, But, I don't know. He's got a little bit of uh, a belly to him. Maybe he can back you down in the post. Okay. Um, so Joey McGuire is my last pick, and I'll leave it up to you to sort um, what positions they play. The only thing is no, I want you have Chris to tell me. at the three. And I-, I want Chris Kleiman at the three, Lance Leipold at the four, and Joey McGuire has to be my one. So maybe 
maybe I play a small ball with Venables at the five. I think that's probably what I end up doing. Um, but man, I don't know. Yeah, something like that. You can no figure right it out. I, I trust you. All right, coaches. We get to pick the other team's coaches, and technically it's my pick, but I'm actually going to do the thing where I don't walk up to the podium in time, so you have to pick my coach first. And that's going to that's gonna, you know, really change how I pick your coach. So choose wisely, because if you pick a nice coach for me, I'll pick a very, very nice coach for you. But if you don't, then, you know, uh, I won't hold back. What happens if I also run out of time and don't approach the podium? And this will be the worst radio segment in the history of radio. <laughs> okay. Um, I, if I want to win this vote, like I, I know all I would have to do is give you either David Beatty or Charlie Weiss. But uh-huh. that is the reason you're making me go first. Because if I give you uh-huh. one, you will just give me the other. I mean, if you do, again, I'm very serious. If you give me a good coach, I will give you a great coach. I'm going to give you a mix of the two. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give you Bo Pelini because Bo Pelini, <laughs> Bo Pelini, I mean, if you just look at the track record when he was at Nebraska in the Big 12, like they were winning big amounts of game. Like they were winning nine games every year. They just couldn't get over the hump and win the Big 12. So like, you know, he was, he was a solid enough coach, but also had some anger issues. And, and I think he's going to give you so many technicals that, like, he'll get ejected, and maybe those four free throws, like, that's the difference in uh, what should be a close game because I don't think either team is that good. Okay, okay. I will take Bo Pelini. Um, you know, Derek, you could have given me a, a million years to figure out who the coach you were going to give me was going to be. Um, I don't know that I would have ever gotten to Bo Pelini. Um, <laughs> so good on you. So I had a few options. I thought if you were going to go mean, I wasn't going to go Bill Snyder because I think key people actually respect Bill Snyder. Um, David Beatty was on the list. Turner Gill was on the list. Charlie Weiss was on the list. But you were kind of nice, so I'm going to ignore them. Um, if you had given me a really good coach, I was going to give you Fog Allen because he did mm. coach football wow. um, and coach football at Kansas, and that would have been. Yeah, I only um, went back decided. to 1998 with the the like real Big Twelve. <laughs> okay, that's fair. Um, I'm going to go back just a little bit farther. Is that okay? Yeah, if yeah. I, if I eclipse that. Okay. No more power um, to you well, for being creative. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm going to give you. Um, and you'll have to help me on the name because I don't know how it's pronounced. Um, but I believe it's Zora Clevenger. Clevenger. Um, I have no idea. Zora, <laughs> for those who don't know, uh, coached Kansas State from 1911 to 1919. Um, oh, and the reason I, I really like this pick is because uh, there have been a lot of rule changes to basketball over the years. And so, for example, there was no shot clock. Uh, there was no half court line. There was no three seconds. There was uh, goaltending was allowed. In fact, coaching wasn't allowed during games. Um, so I feel confident that your coach will not be prepared to coach in a basketball game. And uh, Good luck with Zora. The former K-State legendary coach did have a winning record, though. Nobody is going to know who my coach is. This is... That's <laughs> 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 awful. That's, uh, that's the worst thing you could have done. I would have rather you given me David Beatty. I really would have. I, I I thought about giving you someone polarizing too. Like I could have given you Les Miles because I think Les Miles still has some people around that'd be like, oh yeah, Les Miles could coach a basketball game for sure. But yeah, I, look, I, who knows? Maybe Zorro was, which I'm assuming that's how the name is pronounced. I'm also assuming that's not a typo. Um, 
because I, I honestly do not know. But I thought I would dive into the history of the league to, you know, maybe educate some listeners and also give you your head coach. Wow, you're so nice. You're so nice. Thank you. I, I wish I would have taken this pick now um, just to, to you know, be difficult. Um, I had one honorable mention pick because there was 10, you know, coaches for 10 picks. So you're saying, how do you have an honorable mention? This is something you did with some of your other picks where you had like, or you did it once, but you mentioned possibly doing it a second time. When we did the Stranger Things draft, you took the Duffer brothers, right? Mm-hmm. I should have done the coaches' wives. <laughs> what? I mean, I... every coach is always like in their thank you speech, but they're the real, you know, the real coach, or they're the real, you know, uh, I don't know, they're the real head hold, uh, or, or they're, they're what's behind me. Behind every great coach is a great woman, right? So uh, mm-hmm. I, I could have just taken the coaches' wives and been set. I would have had uh, 10 of them. Could you have? I don't, I don't know if they're all married. I could have, given that this was a draft of <laughs> uh, head coaches. Um, I, I don't know that we would have, that yeah. the rules committee would have allowed that to stand. Wife but is honestly, the head coach of the household. Okay, that's a good point. You know what? I, I rescind my criticism. You're, you're absolutely right. And feel free to swap out any of your picks um, for all the Big 12 coaches' wives. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, we will put this up for a poll at RCST 1320. I have Neil Brown at the one, Mike Gundy at the two, Matt Campbell at the three, Sonny Dykes at the four, Steve Sarkeesian at the five, coached by Zora Clevenger. And Scott has <laughs> Dave Aranda at the two, Joey McGuire at the one, Chris Kleiman at the three, Lance Leipold at the four, Brent Venables at the five, and Bo Pelini coaching them, hopefully getting a lot of technicals. Any thoughts on the matchup? Sounds like a third straight dub for me. Um, disappointed that we couldn't give you Fog Allen, but uh, this was the hardest draft I think I've ever mm-hmm. done, mostly because I realized that basically there was a top three and a bottom seven, and every single person in each of those categories was interchangeable, and uh, it kind of makes you ponder the meaning of life. <laughs> yes, this was a very pointless draft, but maybe we'll have <laughs> a, uh, another pointless one that uh, is a little easier next week. Scott, I appreciate the time as always, man. Thanks for having me. That was Scott Jason. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Derek Johnson with Lane Gillespie on your Friday here on RCST on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. We are brought to you by Homefield Apparel. Homefield, a premium collegiate apparel brand out of Indianapolis, has incredibly comfortable, officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs because they dig through the archives of your school to find unique logos, mascots, and moments. The Kansas Collection has 14 pieces of apparel, including T-shirts, hoodies, crewnecks, and they are some of the most comfortable things that you will wear, plus they look really cool. And they just released, well, not just, but after the national championship, they released a national championship shirt. Use the code ROCKCHALKSPORTSTALK. That's ROCKCHALKSPORTSTALK, all one word, and you'll get 15%, 15% off your first order. That's right. Code Rock Chalk Sports Talk, all one word for 15% off with home field apparel on your first order. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This is FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Four o'clock hour. We'll have our uh, KU positional previews continue on in the five o'clock hour with Lane Gillespie, Derek Johnson. I might have already said that. I don't remember. Uh, <laughs> stocks down on my memory, but it is time for the sports stock market here on your Thursday and in the sports stock market the stock is always up on this segment but stock is down on a lot of things this week let's start somewhere where the stock is up cue the music lane stock is up 
on Vanderbilt becoming the best football program in the country and Clark Lee proving he's not a liar <laughs> or delusional. Yesterday on Lie Detector Test, we asked, is Clark Lee the Vanderbilt head football coach? Is he a liar? Because he said, we're, you know, trying to become or, or we're going to become the, the the best football program in the country here at Vanderbilt. We both kind of settled on. I don't think he's lying. I think he's just delusional about what he can be, or maybe he's just trying to talk it into existence, whatever it is. Uh, the SEC preseason media poll came out today. Guess who received a first place vote <laughs> to win the East over your defending national champion, Georgia Bulldogs, Vanderbilt. <laughs> it's it's so random. It's a lot <laughs> like with the Big 12 and Iowa State getting a first place yeah. vote. This one's even crazier, though. Yeah. Like, I don't know what Vanderbilt's over-under win total in Vegas is. I would imagine it's somewhere around where KU's is. Probably one and a half, two and a half, <laughs> something like that. Like, them winning the SEC, that has that would have to be up there with, like, what uh, Leicester City did. I never know if it's Leicester City or Leicester City. I think it City. was Leicester or something okay, like that. Well, I think the C is silent. Whatever it is, the, like the Premier League team that, um, you know, was just this insane underdog and, and won the Premier League. That would be like that for them to win. Like, so somebody gave him a vote. Obviously, it was just either a mistake or it was like we had the one year, I think it was like Ryan Tapera or something, got like a, a top 10 MVP vote and the writer came right. out later and he was like, oh, that was a balloting error. I didn't mean to do that. Or it could have just been somebody was like, ah, that would be funny if I gave them a first place <laughs> vote. Like, what does this really mean? Let me uh, just make fun of it. But how about this? Uh, Vanderbilt received more first place votes than Missouri. Missouri was just one of two teams in the East to not get a first place vote. Not even Vanderbilt's part of that club. <laughs> uh, ironically Incredible. enough, it was like Florida was the other, which is really weird. Really? Huh. I I don't know. I guess some people are on the Kentucky train because they have Will Levis, who we'll get to here in a second, but I don't know. I, I kind of was surprised when I saw any team other than Georgia was getting first place votes this year. But yeah, uh, congrats to Vanderbilt. They're on the right way up. They're on the uh, positive arrow. Stonks up on uh, Vanderbilt becoming the best football team in the country. Okay, uh, stock is up on Mike Trout getting to play in a playoff game. No, silly, not this year. The Angels are very bad. <laughs> They have just tanked themselves. But Mike say, Trout. They were, they were very good a few they months were. ago. <laughs> they were like winning the AL West. And then now they've gone like, I don't know, 20 and 40 the last. I don't know if that's real. Uh, but they're, they're very bad now. Uh, Mike Trout says he's going to play in the World Baseball Classic next year. He's going to be the captain of Team USA on top of that. This is cool from a couple different levels. One, Mike Trout is obviously not someone who like baseball wise one of the best players we've seen one of the best players of our generation um and he's also not someone who is like a household name for non-baseball fans right if you're just like a general sports fan or you're into football and you don't really watch much baseball but you know about whoever like a few players right. here or there Mike Trout is not like a noticeable guy he's not on a bunch of billboards he's not on a bunch of commercials or everything like that this will be great for his personal I would imagine, um, I guess, I don't know, marketing or, or whatever you'd want to call it. But beyond that, it's really cool for Team USA because you don't always see like the best players participate in events like this. Mm -hmm. And he's going to be playing as, as part of this. That's really awesome. Um, it would be kind of funny if Team USA ended up not making it to the I, I don't know how this works I'm assuming it's like group play it, and then it turns into a playoff yeah I think it's a lot like with a little league world series like okay. where it's like a pool a group play and then it's into a 
I want to say like an eight-team playoff or something like that. Okay. If I rem- if I remember right, because the only one I could think of on my mind was 2017, which was the first time that Team USA won. Ah, so. that's cool. Yeah, I mean, to your point, like Team USA doesn't, you know, it, it they don't always finish in the top two or make the top four or whatever, but they do have enough pieces that they should be making it to the elimination round consistently. I mean, there's really good players on some of the other teams, whether it's like the Dominican Republic or whether it's, you know, some of the the teams in like Japan or or something like that. Like there are a lot of good other really good teams, but having a guy like this makes it more possible. So it would be funny if they still didn't make the playoffs and it was just that was the curse of Mike Trout. Um, (laughs) He's a very nice guy. I don't want any ill will there or anything like that. Um, But I also wonder if he's going to become like the Carmelo Anthony of baseball. Like Carmelo Anthony never won an NBA finals, never been to the NBA finals. But he's got, I think, three gold medals. Like, he's one of the most accomplished Olympians of all time. Maybe that's Mike Trout. Maybe Mike Trout is just, like, sitting here going, you know what? Okay. I thought this was the year. Me and Shohei Otani, we started off hot. Now we still suck. I, I got to do something. I, I, I got to have some sort of team success. I am craving it. He's like, I'll just I'll just join the World Baseball Classic. Maybe he'll, like, join. Maybe he'll be like, hey, can you just send me down to, like, double A? Can you just send me down to single A just so that I can... <laughs> Hit 500, and at that point, we're bound to win a title with me on the I team. Mean, I mean, I'm pretty sure it was because he was hurt and he was on rehab assignment, but I know he did play some AAA mm. last year. Yeah. With the Salt Lake Bees. Yeah. That's a interesting. One of many fun <laughs> minor league baseball names. I think, by the way, that brings to mind, we just did our draft with Scott. That would be another good draft. Yes. Drafting minor league baseball team names. We're going to do college football Um Division one college football mascots for next week for basketball. So that would be another good one there. Okay. uh, Stock is up on the rich getting richer. University of Texas woman and University of Notre Dame men have won the Capital One Cup, which if you don't know what that is, it's basically this big um, standing sheet that takes into account every NCAA sanctioned sport. You get points for, you know, if you win a national championship, you get X amount of points. You finish here. In the AP poll or, or whatever I it, metric. I think it just boils down to the, just the top 10 you get points for. Yeah. And so you get points, and then it adds up and everything. And then um, you find out who was the basically best overall women's athletic program, men's athletic program. Typically, we see like Stanford win it on the women's side. I don't know who's typically won it on the men's. I've seen Florida, I think, was won it once. I don't know. Um, but yeah, those, you know, those schools getting uh, $250,000 towards student athlete scholarships. Um, obviously not schools that super need the money. How about this? Kansas was fifth in the, the th- uh, men's. The thing is, all of their points came from them winning the national title in basketball. Though. Yeah, and that's why they finished literally fifth. all of them. Yes, because okay. because I actually looked up the scoring and yep. they put it in two groups. Um, group B gets more points because it's fewer sports, but they're like the more popular ones. Um, and basketball is in group B. You get sixty points if you finish. Um, number one on the polls, which is like the coaches' poll, which is what KU did, and they only had sixty points on the whole side. <laughs> okay, well, it's good enough for fifth. Good enough for me. Top five men's athletic program in the country. There you just go. Carried by basketball. <laughs> uh, stock is down on Will Levis draft stock. So I mentioned Will Levis with Kentucky. He is their quarterback. Transferred from Penn State last year. Went over Kentucky. Had a great season. They won ten games. Uh, program defining season for them and everything. And Will Levis, if you look at these like way too early mock drafts that popped up after the NFL draft to the drafts we're still seeing now, which are still too early, but whatever. Um, 
he's a guy who's seen as like a first round draft pick next year. And there's some places where you see him up at like he's the number seven pick in the draft and everything like that. And that caught a lot of people off guard when we first saw it because, again, like he was a good player, helped them win 10 games. He was a little inconsistent, threw a lot of interceptions. Um, but nowhere along the way last year were people talking about Will Levis being like one of the best quarterbacks in the country. But he's a big quarterback. He's got the big arm. He's athletic. He's fast. He, he's very mobile. Uh, kind of in the ilk of like a Josh Allen to a certain standpoint. Yeah. Um, so you can see the tools there with him. But he uh, released a video, or I don't know if this was, it was through Kentucky's like social media. Apparently he likes mayonnaise in his coffee. <laughs> I think we should also say stocks down on him ever getting jo a job at Starbucks. I can put oh, that yeah. too. If um, he's, oh gosh. I, I talked, I talked about this on the, this it first came out a few weeks ago. I talked about it on the show when you were in Germany. Why? First of all, one, how do you even discover that? Two, I'm never going to try it unless there are multiple people that come up to me and say, hey, it's actually pretty good. No, I'm still not trying it. <laughs> That's nasty. And then the, so it shows the video of him, him doctoring up the coffee, essentially. It's just black coffee. And then he just takes one of the mayo squirt bottles flips it upside down, gives it a squeeze, and there's mayo pouring out. And you're like, okay, so it's just like a little bit of mayo maybe? Does it, like, change? No, he's, like, he's like squeezing away. There's, like, five pumps of mayo in that thing, stirs it up, drinks it, goes, mm, delicious. Why? I mean, first of all, maybe this is a ploy by him to get sponsored by, like, some mayo company because there's no better way to get an NIL deal than doing something that ridiculous. Right. Um, and, and if he ends up being a first-round pick, maybe get sponsored in some way, something like that. That is absolutely disgusting. I cannot trust a quarterback who does that. Uh, I couldn't trust Sam Howell, who said that he's never had a stake in his life, and I can't trust him to be a quarterback. I, this is right. worse. This is worse <laughs> from Will Levis. I'm sorry. You can't uh, be a first-round pick. Those aren't the rules. Okay, stock is down on the Arizona Cardinals' chances to win the Super Bowl. Now, this also isn't something where it's like, oh, the Cardinals go in every year and they're a top five favorite to win the Super Bowl. No, they're a good playoff team last year, though. So it's not crazy if, if you thought the Cardinals could win the Super Bowl and maybe they still could this year. I guess this is more so for a future conversation. They've reached an extension with Kyler Murray. Five years, $230 million. You see here people locally talking uh, a lot about how this continues to make the Patrick Mahomes um contract look even better and, and better as his uh, contract becomes less of a kind of albatross according to the rest of the NFL. Kyler Murray will now be the second highest paid quarterback in the NFL. Is he the second best quarterback in the NFL? No, he is no. not. This is how the game works though at the quarterback position especially where it's just a constant game of kind of leapfrog and everything um, and whoever's up next will make more than him and, and so far down the line it's you know, just constant cycling. So who knows? By the end of this contract, by year three, year four, year five, maybe Kyler Murray's the eighth highest paid quarterback, something like that. Here's the thing. There are a lot of really good quarterbacks in the NFL. He is a really good quarterback. Like, don't get me wrong. But also when you start listing out how many really good quarterbacks there are, it's hard to put him in the top 10, right? Like, I mean, just off the top of my head alone right now, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Justin Herbert, Patrick Mahomes, um, Russell Wilson would be in front of him. Gosh, did I say Aaron Rodgers? I, I think I, I think said Aaron Rodgers. Um, I'm already running out of steam. Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, 
And that one, maybe you'd have close with Lamar or Kyler, whoever. You could argue Dak Prescott, um, Joe Burrow would probably be in front of him. And in fact, I feel confident that he would. Deshaun Watson is a weirdo, but is sicko, but, um, you know, just in terms of talent, like he'd be in front of him. Uh, gosh, who else? I don't know. Matt Stafford just won a Super Bowl. He'd be in front of him. I think that's 10 or 11 right there. Yeah, I would, agree. I would agree with that. I don't even know if that's me going through everyone uh, to begin with. So, nonetheless, he's probably in that range of somewhere between like the 12th and, and 14th best quarterback in the NFL. You're paying him this kind of money, which, you know, it, it feels like we've gotten to a point in the NFL where you can win the Super Bowl two ways uh, based on your quarterback position. You either have a cheap quarterback position, so it's one where you basically have a you know, kind of a journeyman veteran who maybe isn't making as much money, or maybe you have a quarterback, this is the most popular way, you have a quarterback on his rookie contract when he is making a lot less money than he's going to be making when you have to re-sign him. That's one way, and that's honestly been the most popular way. Or if you have the cheaper quarterback, it just allows you to, basically you have like an elite team around the quarterback position because you're not paying as much to the quarterback. The second way is if you're paying a ton to the quarterback, he better be a really good quarterback, right? right? Like the Rams were paying a lot to Matt Stafford. He's a very good quarterback. And also they kind of have perfected the, the roster around him in addition to that. But like when the Seahawks won the Super Bowl, it was when Russell Wilson was on a rookie contract. After he re-signed it, they didn't go back to the Super Bowl. Um, Tom Brady, you know, Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, those are the exceptions, although we haven't seen Aaron Rodgers go back, but I don't think that's about the contract I mean, necessarily. I mean, the thing is about Mahomes is that he took the Chiefs to the AFC Championship and they lost in overtime when he was on his rookie contract. Yeah, that's yeah. The other no, thing. I, it makes you. No, no, no. I, I'm not saying that it's a bad thing. Like, it's. No, it's, it's. The thing that I'm just saying is that then why would you trust Kyler Murray with an extension like this? Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Is just what yeah. I'm saying. Because, like, with the Chiefs, they already knew that they found a diamond in the rough with Patrick Mahomes in the very first year of his next contract, won a Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. Why would you do this? <laughs> well, I, I don't even know what you do here because it's an impossible game to win if you're the Cardinals and, and for a lot of teams, the NFL, where it's like. Man, if we don't pay this guy, we're going to have a really bad quarterback. And I, I, I sort of get the risk you take with Kyler Murray because he is young enough that maybe you think he can grow into that. But honestly, I, I think at some point, like certain teams are just going to say, you know what? It's not worth having the 12th best quarterback in the league making top five money where we're not going to be able to do this. Let's just not pay him. We'll re-hit the draft or maybe we'll trade him for something and see what we can do the other way around because I, I just have a hard time believing that the way, because right now, think about the Cardinals. They have, you know, all these fancy receivers and, and all these big pieces around the roster. You know, guys like yeah. Chandler Jones or uh, some of the receivers they have, DeAndre Hopkins and everything. Once this extension starts kicking in and affecting the cap, you're losing one or two of those every year. And is that going to be good enough to win the Super Bowl with Kyler Murray? I, I don't think it is. Stock is down on MLB popularity. Attendance is down 5.4% from where it was in the 2019 season at this point in the year. And, you know, if you go back to 2020, obviously that was the COVID year. Last year is first year coming back from COVID. So the idea was, well, it takes some time, but maybe we'll be back to where we are this year. Not the case. And also the All-Star game was down to seven and a half million views. Now that is more than like the Pro Bowl got, but I don't know what we're comparing much to there. Uh, that's almost half of what it was in 2009, and it's down 10% from last year. I think what we're seeing is just 
there's a growing reluctance to just all-star games in general. Yeah. Uh, I mean, especially, like, I, I want to say, like, just the only, I wouldn't say only popular one, but the most popular one now is the NBA, mm -hmm. in my opinion. The MLB, NFL, not doing well at all. <laughs> um, I will say, I tried to watch the MLB All-Star game, and uh, I got bored, honestly. Like, as, as nice, as, as fun as it was to listen to the players and everything like that, there's not really too much there. So that's just the thing. And that that you tack on to, it used to, I don't know if it still means anything now because I know in the past, whoever won no, it gets home field or like they get home field advantage in the World Series. And I think they changed that. So yeah, now it doesn't really mean anything. Yeah, I, uh, I, I don't know what you do with it at this point because there still is enough there. Like, Yes, it, the numbers are down, but still seven and a half million. Like they're still going to be able to sell that to TV and make money off of it. Right. So I feel like they're going to keep doing it, and, and it was like a, a sellout stadium. So they, they obviously made some money off it. It's just not as successful as it it would be. I, I did love those in-game interviews, like the one where they had Alec Manoa as he's pitching. They have a little yeah. earpiece in him, and he's talking back and forth, and he's like, hey, John Smoltz, like, what pitch do you want me to try to get him out on here? And he's talking about, well, this is what I'm going to try to do because this way. Like, that was awesome. That is what baseball needs more of. I think they should take that idea, and I get if you don't want to do that in the playoffs when it's, like, high intensity and everything, but if they're doing a national broadcast, whether it's Fox or ESPN, of a regular season game, right? Your Sunday night baseball game or your Saturday Fox baseball game, whatever it is, they should be doing that stuff yeah. more often. Like, that is how you grow the game. That is how you add more to it. So I do think they might have found something in that regard. But, yeah, the game itself was kind of boring. It wasn't anything special. And it's easy to tune out to because you're right. It doesn't really mean anything. And this isn't like the all-star games of, whatever, 30, 40 years ago where – uh, you know, Willie Mays comes in, and I guess that was longer than 30, 40 years ago, but, and he's he's getting all five at-bats in the game. Um, you're right. seeing guys for one at-bat. You're seeing guys for two at-bats. You're seeing guys who, like, you're like, I, I have no idea who that is because they're getting, like, Joe Mantiply was the Arizona Diamondbacks organiz uh, represent <laughs> representative, and it's like, he's having a good year as a bullpen arm, but, like, who is that, right? So, uh, yeah, I, I could do without it, but I did think there were some cool elements to it. Last one, stock is up on Joe Tooney wanting a contract renegotiation in a few years. Joe Tooney signed that big contract already with the Kansas City Chiefs, but he signed to come in as an offensive guard. That's what he played most of the time last year. There's one game, though, where Orlando Brown gets injured in uh, pregame, and he had to quickly slide over left tackle. That was against the Bengals, too, and he was matched up a lot with Trey Hendrickson, good edge rusher for the Bengals. He handled his own and, and was really good at the left tackle spot. And right now, we don't really know the status of Orlando Brown. Is he going to play this season? Is he going to sit out some? How good is he going to be if he sits out some and then plays? Is he going to be at training camp and games? Whatever it is. And that Andy Reid mentioned that he feels confident that Joe Tooney can fill in. So what happens if either Orlando Brown just sits out and Tooney is just as good, if not better, as a left tackle? Or if we just see him at certain points and it remains that way, and then we get to next offseason and you just decide, okay, we're going to franchise tag Orlando Brown, trade him away, we're going to move Joe Tooney to left tackle because even though he's making a ton of money for a guard, if he were playing left tackle, he'd be making good money, not great money. So he'd be getting, you know, positional value there. We'd be getting contract value there. And 
then we can sign a guard easier than we can try to find a replacement left tackle because guards are going to be cheaper on the open market in free agency, or we can get them in a later round pick than using a first round pick like a tackle would be in the draft. You kind of play that game, and that would be very interesting from the Chiefs. But the counter to that is, if you play Joe Tooney a lot at left tackle, I'd wonder if you'd want to renegotiate a new contract and say that, well, if you're playing me a left tackle, I want to be paid like a left tackle. I was going to say, how ironic would it be if Tooney ends up requesting at least $25 million <laughs> like Orlando Brown? He just asked for the <laughs> same exact contract that Orlando Brown asks for. That would be, uh, be pretty funny. Um, but I guess we'll wait and see. I, I do feel good that... Like, you could make a case that Joe Tooney could be better at left tackle, but then it just opens up, well, who's going to play left guard? But like I said, probably easier to find a a backup or a fill-in left guard than it would be left tackle. Yeah. He is Lane Gillespie. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depending on it. Did you know that on our website, klwn.com, as well as our sister stations, 1059kissfm.com, bull929.com, we have a program called Hometown Deals. So you click the tab, and it takes you to a magical place where gift cards are 50% off. We have handfuls of different restaurants and places that you can go to that you can get a 50% off gift card to. So just go to the website, click Hometown Deals, and you'll see some of those gift cards for 50% off. If you're a business and interested in being part of this as well and getting featured ads at no cash price and just gift card cost, shoot us an email, djohnson at gpmnow.com. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Lane Gillespie. I am Derek Johnson. 20 minutes till the top of the hour here, and we'll get to our next KU football positional preview with the specialists on special teams here on RCST. But right now, it's that time on a Friday. We get to another edition of The Fast Lane with Lane Gillespie. All right, let's get into it. So, last Monday, Monday? Yeah, Monday, mm-hmm. was the Home Run Derby. Uh, and last week, I, you know, I talked a little bit about some stats from the Home Run Derby. I have uh, quite a few from uh, this one. Because, let's be honest, in my opinion, the Home Run Derby is more entertaining than the MLB Agreed. All-Star Game. Mm-hmm. So, first up, there were a lot of home runs. 291 to be exact. It's the third most in any home run derby. The uh, record is 312. That happened three years ago. Second is 309, which happened last year. It's still home, more home runs hit in one night than any have been hit in an entire MLB season at Dodger Stadium. The record for most wow. home runs in a season at Dodger Stadium was three years ago. It was 246. So not overly far off. I mean, uh, that's still a big enough jump, but almost um, fifty. Yeah, that's that's a pretty big number. Um, yeah, uh, I was uh, I, I was very entertained by the home run derby this past event, and I think I noticed like one thing that I said prior to it happening earlier this week was that I didn't love last year. It was so rapid fire, mm-hmm. and it was just it was throw ball, throw ball, throw ball, throw ball, and it was just it was just whiplash on the camera and watching it. They did a more reasonable job, I think, this year of... I, I think they had someone telling the guy, like, don't throw, throw. Because he was yeah. he was waiting a second, and that made it so much more enjoyable for me. So it was a ton of fun. Seeing Julio Rodriguez put up the show he did, it was cool for me to see Albert Pujols advance one time. Uh, I love the youngster in Julio Rodriguez. You got to see Juan Soto come out and put together a big performance. Maybe a future Dodger. Maybe that was his first <laughs> big thing out in L.A. Um, I'm almost... Well, 
I guess last year would have made more sense if, if you had more home runs last year because of the fact that you had all the rapid fire. But given that, like, Julio Rodriguez finished with, what was it, like 70 home runs something like or something that, yeah. like that, 80 home runs, I'm almost surprised that, like, this wasn't the most or something like that. It, it was certainly a lot. Yeah. Um. So, speaking of a lot, Last week, I talked about, you know, if you add up all the distances of home runs, it was a little bit longer than a marathon. Mm-hmm. Not quite this year. Uh, it added up to 22.9 miles. Not as far as a marathon, but still a distance I would definitely not like to run. No, absolutely not. Um, yeah, like I said, last year it just makes sense. You had the rapid fire and everything like that, and it was in Coors Field. It was the perfect recipe for right. even more home runs, but that doesn't mean... Like, more isn't always better. And I think this is a perfect example of that. You can have just as much entertainment with the Home Run Derby where it's not just purely about, well, the only way for people to watch it more and the only way for people to be more entertained is if we break the record for most home runs we have. No, right. we had less this year, and it was more fun. Exactly. I uh, saw a tweet. Uh, this was by a guy named Jim Passan, and I looked at his bio to see because he wasn't, like, verified or anything. Just He loves tweeting about stats. He put up a tweet listing the Home Run Derby contestants and how old they were when Albert Pujols hit his first home run in April of 2001. The (laughs) oldest of the bunch was Jose Ramirez. He was eight years, 201 days old when Albert Pujols hit his first MLB home run. The youngest, Julio Rodriguez. He was three months old. 98 days. Wow. My goodness. So... That's the beauty of baseball, man. You have, like, Ken Griffey Sr. playing with Ken Griffey Jr. Um, You have such a... Because it's not a sport where it's like, you know, if this receiver is way faster than this corner, the corner's going to get torched and he won't be able to play. Now, you do have some age gaps in in sports like that or, like, the occasional, like, Vince Carters in the NBA where they play till they're 40 or guys like LeBron who are just timeless wonders. But it it happens more often, I would say, Mm -hmm. in baseball because it's just about, like... Can you hit the baseball that's coming at you? Can rea- you react quick enough to that? Not can you react quicker than the person you're going against necessarily. Um, so that's really cool. And I think it adds to kind of the, like you always think about baseball in terms of the, like when you think of it in the, I guess, cliche ways of being like America's game or uh, something like that, where you think about, you know, playing catch with your dad and apple pie and freedom, things like that, like words <laughs> that you would use around that. You think about the, again, like the playing catch with your dad part. And, and that part of it kind of makes it cool that you have those different generations in it. Speaking of Albert Pujols, you know, unfortunately, he's been in five home run derbies. He's never won. However, he beat Kyle Schwarber in the first round, which, by the way, was an mm. eight to one upset, which is pretty cool. We saw Kyle Schwarber bowing down to, to Albert Pujols. Now, after winning against Kyle Schwarber in the first round, he became the first player in history to advance past the opening round five times. So he's never lost in the first round in all five home run derbies. He's gone to the semifinals every time, but he's never gotten past that, which is unfortunate. That is unfortunate. I'm, I'm surprised that he hasn't at least, you know, gone to the finals or something like that. Yeah. Or one, one. Um, <laughs> he's kind of like the, not now, obviously Roy Williams has the titles, but he's kind of like Roy Williams in terms of, Roy Williams never lost in the first round. Unfortunately, he did his final season. But up until then, he was like 32-0 in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of the the record there. So at least he kept that alive. Um, I wonder if Kyle Schwarber, who was the one seed, was just like, I don't 
I don't really feel like being out here very much. I'm just gonna try to let Albert win. Well, I mean, to be fair, they they were tied and went to a to a head off or whatever it's called or something like that or swing off. But it wasn't like a ton of home runs from either no, guys. What, like 12, like, 13, something like that? I think it was actually like 20 to 19, but still, it's not a whole lot. Was it really? Yeah. It, 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 it wasn't anything staggering or anything like that. Um, final stat I have for the Home Run Derby. So Ronald Acuna was knocked out in the first round. But before he was knocked out, he did join an exclusive club. His 15th home run that he hit in the first round went 472 feet to left field, cleared the roof. Now, at Dodger Stadium, there's like, like the back of the sections, there's these roofs, and then just behind that is, well, not the ballpark anymore. Mm-hmm. He's only the fifth player in history to clear the roof and hit a ball out of Dodger Stadium in history. The other five, or, or the others, were Fernando Tatis, or okay, he's the sixth. There have been five others. The other five are Fernando Tatis Jr., Giancarlo Stanton, Mark McGuire, Mike Piazza, and Willie Stargell, who did it twice. Um, I the Stanton one really comes to mind from a couple years ago. Yeah, and like the deep left field or something. I don't remember the Tatis one. Weirdly enough, um, yeah, Kuna's just got insane power. By the way, I was looking this up and because I was curious how many they did hit. You're right. It was twenty to nineteen. It was thirteen to thirteen though when it was tied. Oh, really? And apparently, huh. well, this is what's interesting. Uh, apparently, there was a counting error. Oh, no that kidding. allowed Kyle Schwarber to lose to Albert Pujols. I so I swear rigged. there are t- I swear there are a ton of counting errors mm. in that home run derby. They're trying to get Albert Pujols to admit, but then and once Albert, you know, if you if you lose by one, like maybe you can get away with the counting error or something. Uh, but obviously, if you're Kyle Schwarber, he said this. He was like, I don't really care. It is what it is. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, Ronald Acuna, very good, and it's it's crazy that he's had the bounce back that he has. He uh, tears his ACL in the middle of last year. Mm-hmm. Now he's all the way back. He's an All Star starter. He's Hitting nukes in the home run derby. Cool to see. Uh, still keeping in the theme of baseball, but no longer with the home run derby. So people forget that Clay Thompson's brother plays in the MLB. He plays for the LA Dodgers. That being Trace Thompson. One of two brothers. Exactly, yeah. That's true. Well, yesterday, Trace hit his first triple since July 9th, 2017. Well, how many triples has Clay Thompson made since then? Ah, 584. Wow. <laughs> uh, I, I saw something, too, that was like... Because Trace Thompson, or uh, yeah, Trace Thompson had a triple and a double last night, and I don't think Clay Thompson has any triple doubles yeah. though in his NBA career. <laughs> so Trace Thompson has more of those. Yeah, that's an athletic. Fan. I wonder how he wound up in baseball because you have your dad, who's you know a former basketball player with the LA Lakers, the older brother, basketball player, and I think he had some time in like the the G League or D League or something, and, and been playing overseas. He actually was was on some of the like team FOE TBT teams with like the Morris Twins right. and Tyshawn Taylor and stuff. And then you have Clay, who's obviously basketball. And Trace, I believe, is the youngest, right? Um, how was he just like, ah, everybody's basketball, I'm going to do baseball. Maybe it was just I want to do something different, and I respect him for it. Right. Uh, I don't respect him for, you know, murdering my Giants last night, but, <laughs> you know, good for him um, to see him up. He, he kind of struggled through. He was... Had a couple opportunities with a couple different MLB teams this year, and, and of course he fits with the Dodgers because the Dodgers are just insane at developing players. Right. That and also he's going to get some, he's going to have that track record of, hey, I'm Clay Thompson's brother. Mm-hmm. They play not that far from here. Anyway. Rest in peace to the turnover chain. Mm. Yeah. Is it done? Yeah. The uh, head coach for Miami the other day, I forget his name, said that they're going to get rid of the turnover chain. Wow, it's not Mario part Cristobal. Of, Mario Cristobal. It's not part of our culture is what he said. 
So it, it became a thing in 2017, and it was worn a total of 103 times. Wow. So that's sad, man. I, uh, I, I'm guessing they're not going to do anything then at all. As far all. as I know. It's just going to be yeah. basic. It's just, let's have a turnover. Let's celebrate on the sideline, but let's just yeah. keep it a dull roar. You know, I, I think it was something that was cool at first. They made it cool with the turnover chain. Then you had certain teams who took it like to a really cool place. You had other teams who took it to a really lame place. Yeah. <laughs> um, and now it's just like everyone has it. So it's not as, not as cool anymore. It's almost like a hipster thing. It's like, well, we want to be different. So now it's cool to not do it, right? Um, well, I mean, yeah, it's rest also, in it, peace, man. It's also kind of in, uh, evolved to other sports having props for something. You'll see a lot of college baseball teams, which now the NCAA will probably not allow them to have that anymore. Yeah. Or at least on the field. Yep. Um, but the way that it's evolved has been really cool to see. And it was mm-hmm. it was such an amazing phenomenon when it first came out. Unfortunately, Miami said, nah, we're going to be done with it. Yeah. yeah. Under three times. It's about 20 per season. It was five years. Uh, but the... <laughs> They, the fewest in a season was last year. Yeah, it was fewer times than the COVID short season, which yeah. is interesting. So, anyway, the Sacramento Kings, they suck, <laughs> basically. Uh, saw a fun stat earlier this week. No active player has played against the Kings in a playoff game. Zero. Zilch. Wow. The last time that the Kings were in the playoffs were 2006. No, yeah, there have been some NBA players that have played since 2006 and beforehand, but yeah, just have not played against the Kings in a playoff game. It's been 16 years that's since like, they've been in the playoffs. That's like the complete opposite of, there was that one Shaq stat that um, came out, I think it was, I don't remember if it was, it, that it like got broken this offseason or what, but it was like, there's been at least one teammate of Shaq that made the NBA Finals for like 40 yeah. straight years or something right. like that. Doesn't mean that he played with them at the time, but like at some point he would have played with them, right? So they could have made the Finals in the 90s and then they were a teammate of his in, in 1998 or something like that, right? Um, that's like the opposite of that. The Kings, yeah, uh, that's that's right up the alley of, of fans out here. I mean, they've seen plenty of uh, KU basketball players kind of ruined by the Sacramento Kings, whether it's Ben McElmore uh, Thomas Robinson. Who, I don't remember if T-Rob was drafted. Was he drafted by them or just yeah, ended he up was. there? Okay, so he was. That didn't work out. Uh, he quickly went over to the Blazers, I think. Yep. Um, Frank Mason, obviously, after they had just signed a veteran point guard and drafted another one in the first round. Like, there's so yeah. many moves <laughs> by the Kings. And, and anytime a KU player, like the fact that Ochak Baji wasn't drafted by the Kings or Christian Brown, huge hooray. And yeah, uh, if I... If I was uh, an NBA player, like that would be the one franchise where I'd be like, eh, I don't know if I want to get drafted there. By the way, because of what you were saying, this came to the top of my head, what you were saying earlier with, uh, you know, you weren't happy that the Dodgers beat your Giants yesterday. Mm-hmm. Let me just take you off a little bit more. Anyway, oh, great. <laughs> since, the modern era, since the modern era began in 1900, mm-hmm. the Dodgers have 514 comeback wins against the Giants, mostly uh, against any opponent. Wow, that's not fun. Well, you know what? They jinxed it, too. They showed on the ESPN broadcast. Um, I don't know if you believe in, like, the announcer jinx. This oh, I do. Like that. Because I've been there. Okay. <laughs> this was, this was like, uh, I don't know. It was above the announcer. It was, or, I don't know, above the announcer jinx. It, it was a graphic jinx, I yeah. guess. Because the Giants were down 5-1 to one in that game, and Darren Ruff hits a home run. I forget it was the sixth or seventh inning. Ties the game. And uh, they were down 5 nothing at one point. And they showed the graphic after they tied it up. And it might have even been after they took the lead because they got up 6-5. They showed the graphic of the Giants since 
X year, say 2017 or something like that, have gone like two and 160 when they get down five runs or more in a game, which you expect to have a bad record when that happens. But that was like by far the worst winning percentage in the MLB when that happens. And then like immediately after that, they give up the lead. Mookie goes off, basically. Mookie goes (laughs) off. Trace Thompson goes off. Not a fun time. Is that it for this week? Uh, I got one more. All right. Last one. It is uh, National Mango Day. Ah. Mangoes. Delicious. You know what? I I don't think I've ever actually had just like a mango. I don't think I've had a straight mango either, but like mango flavoring. Like I've had like natural mango flavoring Mm -hmm. and it's it's really good. Well, I I do agree. I actually love like everything mango flavored. So I don't know why I haven't had a mango. Like if you give me, you know, a mango smoothie or um, I don't know. What else do they make mango? Like, I, I'm not like a huge seltzer guy, but if you give me a mango seltzer, mm. I'm all about that. Um, I'm not a, much of a seltzer guy either, but I would certainly try it. Yeah, good. I like mangoes, but like I said, never had a real yeah. one. Um, so, mangoes, the national fruit of not one, but three countries, surprisingly. Okay. India, Pakistan, and the Philippines. Now, they've been around for a long time, but it's only been introduced in the United States since the 20th century. So, the, it, when it comes to them the being in the fruit. United States, it's, yeah, it's kind of young. Now, I saw this interesting stat. I don't know if this is yearly or just overall, but this is this is pretty cool. How much are produced globally? Let's say 43 million metric tons. Wow. Not 43 million pounds. 43 million metric tons. Now, a metric ton, it's not like 2,000 pounds. It's not right. like a ton ton. Metric ton is 1,000 kilograms, but it does add up to about 2,200 pounds. So take that times 43 million. Goodness gracious. <laughs> a lot of mangoes. I don't know who's eating them all. Because like I said, I don't even think I... I couldn't... I, I'm sure there's mangoes that, that, like if I run to Dylan's across the street, but I couldn't Probably. point one out to you. I don't know what they look like. <laughs> there's got to be a country somewhere where it's like, that is like the apple to them. Right. He is Lane Gillespie. That is Fast Lane. This is Rock Truck Sports Talk on your Friday. Two hours down, one to go on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, depending on it. Welcome back in to Rock Shock Sports Talk. Derek Johnson with Lane Gillespie. Five o'clock hour here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. We are going to replay our Phil Steele interview coming up a little later in the show. But we've got to get to our next KU football positional preview. That would be the, you know, we're not going to get to all of the special teams. We're going to save the the returners and, and those guys for uh, another segment. But this is more of like the... I don't know, the specialists, I guess you could call them, the kickers, the punters, the long snappers. I'm not really going to have much to add as far as the long snappers. Uh, I can tell you who they are and, and about their returning experience, but, you know, uh, I, I would not qualify myself as a uh, long snapper, um, I don't know, aficionado or something. Like, I, I'm not going to be able to say, oh, you know, this guy, oh, he just he snaps it so firm, so well, and, you know, his pro football focus grade you know, the snaps were a little bit too far to the left on average. Like, I don't know. I don't know. It just is what it is. You hope it's a position that, honestly, you don't uh, have to hear something bad about because there was a bad snap or something like that. Nonetheless, you didn't really lose anyone from this group of note. But one thing that I find is interesting here, like like pretty much every position, and even, even here, I guess, no matter what, you want players returning, right? You don't want to lose players, just hypothetically. But it's it's a little different at the these positions, the kicker and the punter and everything. It's not 
you know, as much as like, oh, hey, he was an offensive lineman, and you know, from last year to this year, he's now gained, um, whatever, like twenty pounds or something like that, and that's just going to make him such a better player. Like, yeah, like the kicker and the punter can, you know, they can hit the weight room and, and maybe they can increase their leg strength a little bit, but you know, you're not going to see that much of a difference. Typically, what we see from guys as a freshman in terms of kicking and punting is about what you're going to get by the time they're junior and senior. Again, there can be improvement over the course of time, and and usually there is slight improvement, but it's really not, like, that monumental. Uh, That's not just a Kansas thing. Like, look across the country. Um, So it's a little bit harder to judge, like, hey, you didn't lose anyone. You bring everyone back. Like, there's going to be this massive improvement just from having that continuity. You don't necessarily view it that way. It's almost one of those positions where it is just more kind of about the personnel, and, and it makes sense, right? Like, if you're someone who can kick a 47-yard field goal and that's the furthest you can kick it, yeah, maybe you come in, maybe you improve your your technique and your craft and you are lifting some more weights and stuff, maybe you get that up to 50. But all of a sudden, you're not going to be a guy who kicks 47-yard field goals and then the next day is Justin Tucker out there, right? Like, it, it, it's like Usain Bolt, you know? Like, I can improve on – I can work with the track coach and I can improve on – um the amount of speed I have and, and I can improve on, uh, you know, doing everything the right way and getting in shape and everything. But there's a limit there. I'm not going to beat Usain Bolt in a race, right? So uh, keep that in mind as we go through here, and, and we'll kind of wrap back to that. But as far as the returners with nobody being lost, you return Jacob Borsilla, the, Borsilla, the uh, kicker. He's a six foot two redshirt junior from Westerville, Ohio. He does have three years left of play. It was a bit of a shaky 2021 for Borsella. He went 9 of 15 on field goals. He did hit a 50-yarder, which, you know, you got to see a bit of that range there. Um, but he really struggled on on kicks 30 yards and above. And he also went 26 of 27 on PATs. You total it up, that's seven missed kicks, right? That's 19 points uh, left off the table for a KU team that, you know, you. <laughs> I mean, any team needs points. But for a KU team that, that's playing with um, a little less you know, error that they can have, um, you need all those opportunities to kind of cash through. And over the course of his career, he is 15 of 25 on field goals. So last year he was at 60% over his career. He's at 60% on field goals. He's also 37 of 38 on PATs. Those are numbers that that are going to need to improve, whether it's him doing the kicking, whether it's someone else. Other guys on the roster, Owen Peeper Gerdes, I, I don't know if that's the proper way to pronounce it. Um, that dude looks like, I don't know, like this is just one of those things where I, he's 6'5", 238 pounds. Like I just envision that guy being the kicker and having an absolute cannon of a leg, right? Like Sebastian Janikowski. Um, he is a redshirt freshman. He has four years left to play. He's from Rockhurst High School. He had uh, some good seasons over at Rockhurst, really showed an electric leg. Maybe he's someone that, you know, would take over that position or – Maybe he's a guy that if he does have kind of a rocket leg that he's a kickoff guy. I don't know. Uh, then you have Tabor Allen. He is a six foot one junior from Mansfield, Texas. He has been the kickoff specialist for KU the last couple of years. He has three years left of play for the Jayhawks. Move over to the punter position. Reese Vernon returns there. He's a six foot two junior from Bixby, Oklahoma. Uh, far away are the days of having Trevor Pardula. For KU, who, you know, you got the Pardula for Heisman. That's a shame, by the way, that NIL wasn't around for Trevor. I mean, I, I'm I'm not even joking. Like, if you go back to 
what would that have been, like 2014, maybe 2015 for KU football when Trevor Pardula was the punter? And obviously things weren't great for KU. I mean, you had some other like good players around that time, right? Guys like James Sims. Um, you had some interesting receivers kind of into the fold at different points. Ben Heaney would have been around there, right? So you had other interesting players. But if you had NIL around at the time, like there were so many people who would kind of joke around and, and you know, kid, but like in a way that was basically saying how good he was as a punter, the Trevor Pardula, if there would have been NIL, I think he probably would have, right? You could have sold Pardula for Heisman. Um, would he have been a top five or top 10 most profitable player from NIL just in terms of the KU football players? He might have, which is uh, saying something, uh, both good and bad. Um, but Reese Vernon, anyway, uh, three years left to play for him. Last year, again, a little bit light on what you got from this position. 49 punts, only 40.4 yards per punt. Seven were inside the 20, which was a clip of 14%. Now, those numbers were improved on um, what they were a season before. Back in 2020, Vernon was at 10% with his punts inside the 20. He had 38 punts. He was down at 37.8 yards per punt. So he did pick it up uh, about three yards, um, but still overall the career numbers and everything doesn't look great. And by the way, out of, uh, I guess, comparison, you might be wondering, like, is the 14% inside the 20, is the 10%, like, is that good? Is that bad? I mean, it's it's, it's tough to, to fully put a, I guess context around it um, for him because of the fact that he is on a Kansas team where, you know, if you have a three and out after you receive the ball and you're punting from your own 33 yard line, it's, it's going to be a little bit tougher to pin it inside the 20 yard line because based on the, the inside the 20 uh, metric isn't just based on where the punt is fielded. It's where it ends up. Right. So if, if you kick a, I don't know, 45-yard punt from the 33-yard line, that's going to only take you to the 22-yard line of the opposition to begin with. Even if it's a 50-yard punt, it takes them to the 17, and then if they return it five yards, right, they're outside of the 20. So um, it, it's tough when you have that context of KU that you're always not in the best situation to try to pin them inside the 20, but also that number is light, like out of comparison. And I get it. This is the NFL. Like these are these are the best punters in the world. But like Tommy Townsend led the NFL last year with the Chiefs in punt percentage inside the twenty. It was at fifty three percent. And if you go down to like the thirty second best punter in the NFL, it was at twenty six percent. And again, those are NFL punters compared to these guys. But it's also you know tougher in in certain regards in the NFL. So you'd like to see those numbers higher. Uh, for Reese Vernon. Nonetheless, uh, the big number there is is the yards per punter kind of down. The other guy in there is Graydon Addison. He's a five foot eleven redshirt freshman from Noblesville, Indiana. He has four years left to play. And then uh, the long snapper, like I said, I'm not really going to have much to add here. Uh, Luke Hosford is a six foot two redshirt sophomore from Ohio. He has four years left to play. He's been the primary long snapper uh, last year. He has 17 totals games played in his career. And then you have Emery Duggar, who is a six foot two redshirt freshman from Baton Rouge with four years left as well. That, you know, I don't know. Two special teams guys, long snappers. Um, as far as newcomers, there could be more. Obviously, there could be walk-ons that eventually join, but as we know about on the roster or that they have mentioned as as recruiting or whatnot, 
Grant Glasgow comes in, a local kid from Lawrence High School. He went 8 of 9 on field goals as a senior. He hit a long of 48 yards, which is pretty impressive for a high school senior. He came through uh, with the game-winning kick against the Latham North earlier this year. He was 48 of 50 on PATs. Um, and then he averaged 67 yards per kickoff as a uh, senior. Former soccer player, too. So he's a guy that I don't think he was kicking much more than a year or two that you know, there's probably more potential there just in terms of, like, again, what I was saying earlier, you're not going to all of a sudden go from a guy who's kicking 50 to, to kicking 60, but for a guy who maybe doesn't have all the fundamentals because he hasn't been doing it as long, maybe he can be a guy that goes from, you know, kicking a, a long of 48 to kicking a long of 55 at some point in his college career. He's someone I'm definitely keeping my eye on, and he is a walk-on coming in, but that's most of the kickers and punters. They are going to be walk-ons. Um, I don't know if any of the KU kickers and punters currently are on scholarship or not, but the point is that at that position, you know, it's not like, hey, we've got this walk-on quarterback in. Let's see if he wins the starting quarterback job. No, you don't expect that to happen. At the kicker position, it's, you know, it happens all the time. Um, so as far as what you got out of those positions last year, overall among qualified kickers, which is classified as you had to attempt at least one uh, field goal attempt per game of your team's game played games played. So if your team played 12 games, you would have to attempt 12 field goals. If your team played 13 yet, right. You attempt 13 field goals. Makes sense. Um, so among those kickers who qualified kicked enough times, Jacob Borsilla, the KU kicker was last among big 12 kickers at 60%. Every other big 12 kicker was at 70% or above on field goals. Again, it's not to say that Borsilla can't have a good season or can't improve. It's just pointing out that you need more there. And that for KU to, as all these conversations with these positions go, get in line, be competitive, beat these other teams, you know, be a possible bowl team, whatever it is, you got to at least be in line in a lot of these categories with these other Big 12 teams. There can't be a... Yeah, they're the ninth best in the Big 12, and then there's a gap, and then there's Kansas. And if that just goes for every position, then you catch up in all these different ways, and then you hope you have other ways that you're, instead of just being just on par with the Big 12, that you're maybe top half, which you could have in the running back positions, the quarterback positions, and so forth. But that's the case for the kicking room there. Again, there's a 10% gap between those guys and what you had last year. Among qualified punters, which that's classified as at least two and a half attempts per team's game played. So over the course of 12 games, you know, 25 punts or more. Uh, Reese Vernon, or 30 punts or more, I'm sorry. Uh, Reese Vernon was last among Big 12 punters at 40.4 yards per punt. He was also last among Big 12 punters in net yards per punt at 35.5. Every other punter was at 42.4 yards or better, so two yards or better or more. And every other punter was at 38.8 net yards per punt or better, so over three yards net yards per punt or better. And then there's you know some more stacks and then some other guys that kind of distance themselves. But again, the point being there, you were last in both regards um, and last by a maybe not a sizable margin, but by a big enough dip that, it's definitely noticeable there in both areas. So in trying to figure out, you know, how that gets better, again, I go back to 
Well, I don't know because all of a sudden Reese Vernon's not just going to, you know, be a guy who's kicking 50 yard punts. He might say, oh, well, he has a long of like 58 yards or 59 yards. Why couldn't he just do it more regularly? Well, a lot of times the long is, you know, it gets a good bounce or there's good wind behind you. It's not just a repeatable thing necessarily. And also I should mention Reese Vernon's long punt of, I forget if it was 58 or 59 yards, was also the lowest long punt by any punter in the Big 12 this season. Um, as far as the projected depth chart, that's that's why it gets difficult because clearly you didn't get enough from those positions this past season. And like I said, the biggest way to change that isn't necessarily from all this changed up technique or whatnot. Like it can get better. Again, you have uh, you have the situation there with Reese Vernon where he did go up a couple yards per punt from 2020 to 2021. Sure, it could go up another yard or two this year. But to make sizable change to and at this position, like there's no excuse why KU couldn't have one of the best in the league if most of these players are, are walk-ons or whatnot. Um, but it might have to come from personnel changes, but there's not a ton of personnel differences on the roster until maybe walk-on tryouts occur and, and that stuff kind of comes together. Maybe a guy like Grant Glasgow can impact the kicking game. I think I wouldn't be surprised if, if that were to happen but you have to get more there at that position. And, and without much changes, I, I think if you're just projecting the depth chart, you're just projecting the same guys to start to be at those positions. So as far as the key questions, how much improvement is there to even be had at these positions outside of the personnel changes? That I don't really have the answer to. I would just say that typically you see guys come in at these positions and they're kind of ready-made products. And so KU is going to need to find more there. Um, and that's kind of the bottom line. Like, they weren't good enough at this position last year. And, again, like, I'm not trying to criticize. It's just a fact. It's just how it was last year. And they need to get more out of it. Um, they were 113th in special teams ranking on ESPN+. Plus. That's overall. That's including, you know, the kicking, the punting, kick return, punt return, uh, kick coverage, everything. But this obviously goes into it. They were 113th in special teams ranking on ESPN SB+. They were also 92nd on ESPN special teams efficiency ranking. This becomes especially true with how KU wants to play. They want to play a, I guess not always, like they tell you they're flexible and that they are going to do different things. And we've seen that over the course of time. Like, you know, if it behooves them to, to run a drive, hurry up, then they'll do it, right? But, I think for the most part, with KU wanting to establish the run, maybe make it a lower possession game where it increases the chance of, of something weird happening. Like, think of the Oklahoma game where you just bled the clock, and if they don't have the ball as much, it's going to be harder for them to either pull away or win the game, or if they make a mistake, it, it becomes twofold. Um, to where you're playing more of a low-mistake game, where you're playing uh, a game that, that you know is going to be a little bit closer in that way, there just is a tighter margin for error for KU in general, but especially then once you're playing that way, then all of the sudden it becomes, you know, even more imperative for you to take advantage of those little details and take advantage of those little opportunities like making your 38-yard field goals, making your 42-yard field goals, being able to switch the field that when it's, you know, fourth and eight on your own 37-yard line, can you pin them inside the 20 instead of kicking a 35-yard punt out of bounds, right? Like those little things start to really add up those things really matter, and it's tenfold for KU because they already are playing with a smaller margin for error. 
you don't have the five-star athletes uh, and four-star guys that Oklahoma and Texas and Oklahoma State and all these schools have. And then you add to it the style of play is going to count on special teams a lot more. It's been a while since KU was good on the special team side of the ball. It just has. Um, and when you have that smaller margin for error, it's it's just more imperative to be good for a strong season to occur. And and that's what's kind of weird about this whole thing is that, you know, with special teams specifically, it's not really a, a unit that is derived based on you know, hey, Alabama's gotten the number one recruiting class in the country, Texas A&M and Georgia, like, oh, that just guarantees they're going to have great special teams. Because, again, a lot of those kickers and punters are walk-ons. A lot of the guys playing on special teams, yeah, you're going to have some guys who uh, play pivotal roles on both sides of the ball, but a lot of them are going to be depth pieces who um, take it very seriously and want to impact the game that way. Whereas other teams, maybe you do have a four-star or something who – is on your special teams unit, but maybe he's going, yeah, I'm better than this. I, you know, I'll run down there. I'll try to make a play, but am I really going to go all out? Like what Jamison Williams was doing last year for Alabama. Like that's the exception to the rule. So you look at some of the teams who have been great at special teams in given seasons or just historically, like your Virginia techs, um, your Kansas States, your Boise States, what about those schools jumps off the page and says, yeah, they're just athletically superior than these other teams? They're not. It doesn't take that type of, you know, recruiting overhaul or whatever to be good at special teams. And that's something that I was hoping we kind of saw last year. We didn't get to see it. But, again, you kind of excuse it all because coaches didn't really have much time to institute everything. I'm hoping that we get to see it this year because that's something that, like I said, you don't need a complete overhaul of players to kind of figure out and maybe you just don't have the personnel at, at some of the, the specialist spots to get that going this year. But still, in, in other regards, this is an area where KU can find improvement and needs to find improvement if they're going to make up ground in the Big 12. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN, klwn.com and the KLWN app. Depend on it.